0: Welcome to the Epic Angels podcast. Every episode, we put the spotlight on one of our portfolio startups. My name is Mikey, And my name is Hester. After the
1: conversation with the founder, Maike and I will have a conversation together with one of our Epic Angels to reflect on this investment. For today's session, we are connecting with San Francisco. Sef Faruqi, the founder and CEO of Corgi, is currently at Y Combinator to accelerate the growth of Corgi and connect with some of the world's best advisors, investors, and talent. Sef started his career as a data scientist and engineer at Google, Facebook, and Stripe, and has been the technical advisor for several startups. And now, since October 2022, he is running his own startup named Corgi, which is a software solution for fraud detection and prevention. Did you know that every dollar of fraudulent transaction cost a merchant $3? Well, I didn't, and we'll hear all about it from Seth. Welcome, Seth. Very nice to have you.
2: Thank you so much, Hester. I'm glad to be part of the Epic Angels Network as well. And thank you <laughs> for all the continuing support. Yeah.
1: It's a pleasure. It's been um, we've been at rocket speed since we got to know each other late last year, and you have been <laughs> on a speed train as well. So we would love to hear a bit more. But first of all, please tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you do what you do.
2: Yeah, so as to what I do why I do, it's kind of a external representation of my internal chaotic self. I've done all kinds of things in my life. Like I've done economic consulting. In undergrad, I did astrophysics research. I've worked on health outcomes research, which is basically when someone on the TV tells you 76% of people felt an improvement on this drug. I've worked for various startups. Now, I built a computer vision app for a drone startup to try to detect when there's human shapes on the ground. So we hacked into a GoPro and got it parsing, running through a computer in real time. It's very interesting, oh, wow. by the way. Yeah, it's very interesting. That was my intro to computer science, basically. Uh, but yeah, after a bunch of different things, I landed a job at Facebook doing data science for trust and safety. That's where I first kind of got my hands dirty with all things data science, machine learning, experimentation, analytics. I stayed there for about four and a half years, bounced off to Google to do data science for the voice assistant, like the one on your phone where you ask it to like, give you recommendations of where to eat, where to buy hamsters, so on. And after that, I joined Stripe for a brief stint in APAC, heading up the fraud data science team there. That's where I first encountered this problem of fraud prevention not always working really well, but also sometimes blocking a lot more revenue than it has to in order to prevent fraud. And the current solution is being too friction, causing too much friction for the merchants and the consumers, causing a lot of churn. So all bundled up together gave me the idea I was finally looking for. I've always wanted to start my own company and not all of my previous ideas have been good ideas. I'll be the first to tell you.
1: What was your aha moment? When did you know that, yes, this is it, this is the problem that I am going to solve?
2: It was kind of retrospective where I was like so excited about this. I kept on digging deeper. In the space of one or two months, I learned everything I could about this space. And so I was like, okay, this is how this happens. This is how machine learning fits in. Here's a problem. It's a solvable problem. It requires hardcore machine learning, but also product understanding and education and kind of all of that blended together. I was like, okay, and I want to do something good. And this was like, okay, I can do something good while leveraging my skills, while solving really cool problems that a solution doesn't really exist out there right now.
1: Yeah. So I would love to hear just how you explain it to a six-year-old, what do you do.
2: Essentially, we provide software to detect and prevent payment fraud so that we try to reduce chargebacks for merchants. Chargeback is when a customer is in a dispute, you have to pay them back the money because the good wasn't delivered or they're fraudulent. So we try to reduce those events for merchants because they end up paying a lot more. But we also try to make it very precise to make sure that basically the transaction we are blocking is actually bad. So it hinges on these two core principles of precision and recall. I'm going to bring some stats into this. I'll try to make it simpler. Uh, So imagine you have like a small fishing net. And imagine, if you will, this fishing net is hyper-tuned to catch lobsters. You send that small fishing net down there. It's a very expensive net because it only catches lobsters. You bring it back up. You've got 10 species of lobsters, and only one of them is not a lobster. You have 90% precision. But of the thousands of lobsters out there, you only caught nine. Now imagine you instead go like, okay, I'm just going to build a really big cheap net to catch all the lobsters. You send that big net down, pull up almost on the entire ocean and you catch most of the lobsters. So most of what you catch is not lobsters. There's like 10,000 other fish. So the first one was a very precise approach, but low recall. The second one was a high recall, low precision approach. Usually fraud prevention providers, so far what we've seen in the market, prefer the second approach where they want to keep the fraud rate down, but they block way too much revenue have way too many transactions to do that. We're trying to bring balance to the force here.
1: Yeah. So what does your net look like?
2: Our net is computationally advanced in the sense that we're using small machine learning methods tailored for small sample sizes, historically, which haven't really been possible because the computational load required to take a small sample and then extract insights from there at the same level as for larger data sets. But this allows us to hyper focus on each individual merchant, the problems they're facing, as opposed to saying, oh, the merchant selling hamsters in Singapore would be the same as someone selling clothing in the U.S., mm. and by doing so, we start off at the base level. It's it for the merchant first, and then start aggregating it over time. But I'm actually not a firm believer in having like ginormous models, ginormous neural nets, kind of working around the clock to just get better on one model or one combination of models, especially for something as precious as fraud. We have to make sure you're precise, you have to make sure that you're catching all the fraud. For other yeah. use cases, for example, I didn't find pictures. It might be with the risk, uh, where the downside is a bit lower. That might be okay.
1: Yeah. I see. Hey, but fraud is as old as money is. It's been around since we have money in our world or any kind of currency. There's always people trying to bereave mm-hmm. others in the sense. So, so just maybe for people who just to get a better view of what it is. So the most current fraudulent attacks are really opening multiple accounts to claim promotions, stealing other customers' accounts, or most commonly to pay with stolen credit cards details. Mm -hmm. So as you said, that has an impact on the cost, but also on lost revenue. It's a huge market. It is growing with the increasing size of the e-commerce. The fraud management industry is set to grow to use dollars. $38.2 by 2025. So that is huge. So there's lots of companies who are putting money in this space and lots of competition around as well. Now, I think one of the key points where Corgi is setting itself apart is your all-star team. How did you convince them to work with you?
2: I still don't fully know the answer to that question. I'm not a very arrogant person in general to say that, okay, it's because of my superstar personality that the superstar team joined. Especially talking to different people who are smart. Whenever I'm looking to hire people, I'm always looking for people willing and able to learn because that's all what I've been throughout my career. Like Domain expertise, not necessary. Like certain skills, maybe, but like just being able to learn and grow on the fly. And yeah, I'd reach out to people who I trusted, who I believed in. Sometimes it takes a couple of conversations. Sometimes it takes one conversation. And I guess just my passion and my enthusiasm for solving this problem shines through where I'm like, we're here to solve the problem. We're gonna make some money to the business as well. There are multiple other things we could be doing to make more money, but we want to do some good and we want to solve this problem. And so, just join me on the journey, like. And sometimes they sit on me talking, sit in on me talking to like investors, to other companies, to clients. And for example, the data scientist we just hired, got them. He actually sat down with me and said, like. The reason he wants to join is he wants to learn how i do what i do where i take these technical terms and data science methodologies and talk to investors and clients and kind of translate that and i was very taken aback because i mean no one's kind of been that direct with me and i was like i'd be happy to help figure that out but just let me know when i can help i just don't know if i'm doing it right now or when i do it but yeah so apparently that's one of the qualities that people look for like being able to talk to people who are six and also 60 and in between as well
1: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and I've always loved teaching so that helps as a founder you're very transparent and very authentic that's one of the things that has always stood out so I can imagine and then another great thing in uh, October you started right that's when Corgi Incorporated since then you've shown some great traction you already had paid pilots in the first three months and signed LOIs. Can you tell us a bit more about your traction where you currently stand?
2: Yeah, so for the paid pilots, we actually, in the sp- same spirit of authenticity, we took a step back and didn't want to charge them. And then we were sure we could actually give them something that they wanted to use. And so we've been using them as design partners, like our initial clients, which we'll be converting into paid clients pretty soon, I hope. Yeah, it's always an uphill struggle. Uh, but since then, like it's just been going up and up in terms of being able to talk to different clients, and I made the decision to grow responsibly and consciously, in the sense of not getting too many clients and then failing to fulfill from promises here and there. And after the initial Singapore clients who were still working with, were still helping them out, when I came to the U.S. for Y Combinator, everything kind of kind of just ballooned or exploded. <laughs> we figured out that there's opportunities for Corky to help out in the crypto on ramp space which I didn't know what that was before I got here, but on ramp is actually taking like normal traditional payment methods like a credit card and buying crypto using that. And that's a big part of the digital economy right now. That's huge, like travel is another place we're reaching out. I'm reaching out to like luxury goods providers, entertainment, the industry, and this is all in the past week, by the way. So BPAC oh. has fraud problems and we'll continue focusing on that, but it seems like the fraud problem hasn't really been solved in the more developed, mature economies as well. So mm. yeah. Yeah. The future is looking yeah. bright and for, not abroad yeah. for us, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is good. But that's amazing. These new industries that you get to know as you travel to the US, I can imagine that is not that is an unexpected side effect from your travels to Y Combinator. I'd be interested to hear why, in the first place, did you go to Y Combinator with such a young company? You were four months old when you got admitted to Y Combinator and you went. So what was the biggest reason you went and what did you expect to get out of it?
2: Yeah, I was so happy when we got in. It was kind of like, I had no idea that we were actually getting into a 1.7% acceptance rate or something. Yeah, So it's like an astonishing and amazing. But I wanted to go just so I could learn how to make products from the people who have built them before or seen them. But not just make products, but make businesses. And it's awesome just having these super illustrious mentors just at hand, and I can ask them a question on Slack. I can schedule office hours with them, and they'll give me the answers I need. Like, I was just talking to one of the sales mentors, and I was like, oh, I'm thinking about this and this for the pricing strategy. She's like, no, 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 wait. At this stage, you can't think about that. She didn't say it, but it was essentially like, keep it simple, stupid. Just do a per transaction fee. That's all you need right now. Get going. Later on, you can do all the fancy, innovative stuff. But we didn't accept you to do innovative pricing methods. We invested in you to build a business and a product. Like, okay, thank you. That makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's awesome. They're just, like, so sharp, so right, smart. And, like, even the other founders that are here, I'm learning so much for them. And we're all kind of in this together. Like, misery loves company, and that really helps. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What's the biggest difference between Southeast Asia and Silicon Valley?
2: Yeah, it's much more product-focused. And so pro- there's this concept of product-led growth, which is like if you build a product, they will come. If people say like, okay, I have this problem, they're, the companies are far enough in their like trajectory or they have enough of a uh, momentum to say like, okay, I have this problem that exists. I need a product that will solve it. And the product is kind of what comes up front as opposed to how much will this save me? How much will this cost? That's a slightly different from like Southeast Asia as I've seen so far. It's still a kind of a, it's a different kind of digital economy, more focused on consumer tech more so and like FinTech. And the bottom line is kind of one of the most important things. Like how soon can we get this in the hands of as many people as possible starting revenue? And I feel like a blend of the two would kind of be the ideal scenario. And for our product and our team specifically, it seems like time here is being super helpful and in the future we'll continue kind of going back and forth between the two. But we know, for instance, for marketing and sales, we'll have different approaches for both sides. The US will just go like, "Hey, we prevent fraud, we reduce your block rate, we reduce your fraud rate, and we get you all this extra money you wouldn't have had." In APAC, it's more like, "Okay, here's how much you'll save, or here's how much you'll make if you come with us." Like, just bottom line, how much will this make for you? you can tailor to each uh, approach. Yeah. The basis
1: of sort of risk rules and the risk scoring that remains the same in your solution between the two regions, or do you have to adjust? Uh,
2: well, no, so our solution, and this is why it's so hard to build and so tricky to build, is because it's meant to be adaptable across situations, across scenarios. Mm-hmm. Like, unlike some of the other solution providers, we don't index on any given variable. We don't say we have to look at the device ID, we have to look at this, and basically put all those variables together and make this huge model. We're like, okay, for this use case we're looking at, let's find the most important variables to predict what we're trying to predict, and then go from there. So essentially, if you plug, take pick up like the model, as if it's a thing. Pick up the model and you go and put it in Japan. You'll say like, what are the most important variables here as opposed to which variables am I looking for? So trying to fit the solution to the problem, not the problem to the solution, which is the key part yeah. here. Yeah,
1: that's a good one. Hey, and uh, talking about differences, can you share with us one story that you have experienced in your past two weeks in San Francisco or in Y Combinator that would never happen in Singapore?
2: Oh. So, yeah, this was actually last last night. Yes, this was last night. Oh, sorry, Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> I ended up at a party, quote-unquote party, and I was talking to the folks next to me. I just approached them. I'm like, hey, so what do you guys do? One guy's like, oh, I work at OpenAI. I was just hired to help improve the LLMs, like large language models. I'm like, okay, and I turned to the other person. and I'm like, what do you do? Oh, I work at Hugging Face, operationalizing those models. And it's like... <laughs> okay, these are two biggest names in the world right now. They're doing all this life-changing work, and here am I just chatting with them and grabbing a beer. And our conversation actually didn't require like them drinking anything. It was like, we just started talking <laughs> about like something called constitutional AI, where AI like measures how other AI is performing, about cognition, about emotion. Like I texted my wife at that point that, hey, this is the discussion I'm having, and she responded with, party. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, let's just say, and... That's hugely
1: exciting, yeah. Yeah, People awesome. just yeah. look around there and share their ideas. Is it also there quite open, right?
2: Yeah, and that's one of the best parts of the YC cohort as well. Like, everyone I've talked to is so happy and friendly and willing to help. They'll jump on a call. They're like, hey, I'll design your site for free. Hey, I'll do this for free. And like, hey, yeah, whenever, however I can help. There's like threads on Slack where people will be answering each other's questions in so much detail. And it's so nice to see I I think somehow Y Combinator kind of filters out those people who are really helpful and really genuine and just will be always willing to help. Yeah, I don't know what the mean, secret sauce is there, but that's very valuable, like to build a community. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I hope you stay part of it, but I also hope you come back to Southeast Asia. I'll be back.
2: My wife is there, so I can't not come back. Yeah. <laughs>
1: good 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 amazing well we're very keen to hear how you're doing for the rest is there one goal that you're after to get out of well in y combinator
2: purely revenue we want to we have this we think there's a problem we think we have the solution if people are willing to pay for it then basically it's a rocket ship from there if not it's a pivoting ship but we will not we'll try our best not to get there we believe in this problem we believe in the solution and We want to make sure we, quote unquote, take it to the moon and help make all of you epic angels millionaires as well, just on the side. Yeah. (laughs) That would be amazing. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah.
1: Well, we are on that track. (laughs) It's a pleasure working with you. And thank you very much for your time, showing everybody a little bit, a peep in the kitchen of Corgi while you're in Y Combinator. Get the best out of it. Enjoy it. And uh, thanks
0: for your time. And speak soon.
2: Thank you so much, Esther, and thanks for the continued support. Much appreciated.
0: Thank you, Hester. That was super interesting. Now let's hear from the investors what they have to say about the startup. Please remember, we are not a financial advisor. All opinions expressed by Epic Angels are intended as educational and reflect the personal research and experiences of the team. So today we're speaking with investor Fanny Subiel, who's currently the head of startup success JPEG for Google Cloud. And before, she's been with Amazon Web Services for more than five years. Her experience is not only in these large tech companies, but she also ran her own startup, Trader Q. Fanny is an active investor at Epic Angels and a venture fellow at Insignia Ventures. And Fanny, you even have a master's in technopreneurship. That's so cool. Actually, that's a topic we could dive into as well. But today, we're speaking about Corgi and what excites you about this company as an investor. Super curious to hear more from you, Fanny.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to be here and discuss about Corgi AI because first of all, I know Saif for a while while he was still in Facebook or Slash Matter. So, you know, we've been just contacting each other in the startup ecosystem. ever was since in my previous roles in, in the VC ecosystem as well. While he was especially technical advisor to a few startups, and it was one of the startups where we shared one of the mentors and we had a very close relationship supporting the startup. He invited us to Facebook then to his office and had a meeting room, a proper discussion, a nice lunch, of course. And that's where we grew our relationship, just to know each other better. And I've seen how he has grown, like going to different companies with different roles. I was actually quite surprised to hear from earlier conversation that he came from a liberal arts background. That was so unexpected because I always see him as the technical expert, you know, being a data analyst, uh, being the product lead, being the technical advisor of a few startups, like, how did he end up from liberal arts to product and technical lead? So that was really interesting. But you could see, like, obviously, a really smart individual. And when he told me that, hey, Fanny, just throw WhatsApp, I'm finally starting something myself, I was like, oh, cool, this is really a brave move. Congratulations. You know, he knows the space, he knows the ecosystem. I have no doubt he will. Just blend in and get to know the network immediately. So yeah, I kept in touch. He sent me the pitch deck and I was glad that he got in touch with Epic Angels. And like, oh great, this is perfect. So I was very interested from the very beginning and I was definitely a lot more impressed after seeing the deck, knowing the problem that he was solving. Obviously, the rockstar team, like Hester mentioned earlier, like how he had gathered that rockstar team. Definitely for any early stage startups, team is always the number one criteria that we always looked at, as at, at least at ages, just because, you know, it's early stage, there's nothing much you could see in terms of the products or even, you know, traction. So it really comes down to how how good are the team members, like how hungry they are, what are the background, do they have the right domain expertise? And it feels like they're just ticking the boxes. So that was exciting. And further down the line in the deck, I saw, wow, it was a six-month-old or less than 6 months old startup. And i started to see traction this guy is really fast uh, for a b2b startup just having to build something and get your first customer deal i know it's not easy but he got I, I feel it was two or three pilot sign and just a few more liis and other initial discussion with great companies so i thought that really shows how much he knows about the space and the right people to target so th- that was just really great. And obviously we dive deep and look at the you know, data room and everything. So it was just really intuitive from day one.
0: Yeah. And I like as you said, right, the team is the number one decision always. Exactly. In this early stage. They have the track records. They have the network. They have the knowledge, which is super important. And then they've been able to capitalize on that as well immediately and to really put something in the market that's, is a clear need and even converting into clients immediately early stage, which is very, very impressive need. And because if you think about this space, I mean, fraud is a very old problem Esther touched upon that already earlier. It definitely isn't solved yet. Unfortunately, we probably all experience some fraud here and there. So it's a very painful problem and people are really willing to spend money on this to solve this. But that also attracts a lot of other companies to enter this space, obviously. So what do you consider as their unfair advantage, their real unique elements
3: in this startup? I think it comes back to the team itself, because yeah. they were literally from the domain space, not just himself, but this other team is the co-founders, right? Like they have been in that space. They know how it works and they have the right knowledge to really fill in the gap that they know the indirect or direct competitors do not have that ability yet. And building that particular product will help their customers to solve problems. So I feel that direct connections in the industry is definitely one of the unfair advantage that they have compared to any other founders who want to kind of be in a space. They have the insights that not many people have, especially in Stripe. I feel that was a great company to work for, for sure. And especially in this space when we're talking about fraud, obviously strat has a lot of experience and have been market leader for you know, any payment transaction. I think this is the right company that to work for, and they had the experience, which is really comforting evidence to to see that. And what is that for you, Hester? That uniqueness.
1: Yeah, it absolutely has to do with the team. Seth is a a person, as he said to himself as well, but I think he's right. He's very authentic and very transparent. When we started to look into Cory as a potential investment for Epic Angels, he was very much upfront about this is it. This is the data. He shared everything. And everything remained true so we did our due diligence and there was no hidden information nothing was unusual about it he was very transparent and very authentic about it i think as he said that is also how he has been able to attract his top talent to come work for him so that authenticity and transparency up front, it's a very good trait to have combined with his hacking mentality. You see that in everything. And that is also what you said, funny how he went from the arts to to product and engineering. I think he just saw a problem. He wanted to solve problems and he had a tool how he would do that. And that is true. Very and coding. Uh, I like hackers, right? They hack their way through, uh, is definitely hacking his way through, getting two paid pilots, four LOIs, getting into YC, which it all proves everything that he has already accomplished in the first six months. Yeah, it's all down to how he approaches it together with his team.
0: Because I think getting into the white Combinator is another big thing uh, that also will make them unique because it puts a spotlight on the company. It will attract a lot of investors. It will get them a lot of publicity. That always really helps, of course, if a startup gets into that space. And what are your future thoughts about core dealing? What What could their future look like? And also for us as an investor, eventually looking at an exit scenario, what, what might that be? Any thoughts on that already in this
3: early stage? I mean, just looking at the market, it's pretty exciting. Obviously, when we invest in any startups, founders are first element, but the second thing is well, how big is the market, right? Is that real problem to solve, and how does future look like? Because ultimately, any investors are looking at exits, like you said, and the market size is really attractive, and he found a really niche market that makes sense, and is huge, growing at double-digit figure. I think that itself helps and speaks by itself on the potential size that this company could become. And we accelerated motion like joining Accelerator like YC, that, that could really help speed up that motion. And I'm pretty excited to see what's going to happen just in the next, this year, 2023 itself, right? Because we are just at the beginning, I could see a lot of changes going to come and he's going to get a lot of good traction in the next 11, 12 months.
0: There are
1: so many players in this space. It's a market size of 38.2 billion. That is very large. So there's many players on both ends. So there's the payment platform providers like Stripe and Agen who are already in this space, but they provide this layer on top of those platforms so they can be parties that may be interested. And then I believe there will be a lot of consolidation because there's quite a few broad detection and prevention companies out there. They all focus a little bit on something else, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see some consolidation there. But it's very early days for Corgi. They made a very strong start, and I think an exit will be hopefully at least a few years away so that they can continue building this company
0: absolutely no i think that that's the key thing now right get into the white combinator be there be in front of all those investors that's really going to help them on their demo day to get their next big round of funding and we have the opportunity to get in just now before that demo day which i think is a very unique opportunity as epic angels that we have Mm-hmm. So that's always, always nice to be on the earlier side with that investment uh, when valuations will only go up typically after the demo day uh, of Y Combinator. That's going to be very exciting, and I'm really looking forward to see how Corgi's is going to grow this year and definitely the years beyond. Any final thoughts?
3: I'm just super excited. I think, like, you know, this startup is a startup that is ticking the right boxes for me team, market, traction top three most important element that I look for in the really early stage startups. And they have just even proven it by getting into YC. Like you say, getting into a round just before YC is not common. (laughs) Uh, So you know, obviously, most people only know about a startup during YC demo day, but we managed to, to kind of found this before he's going to YC. So I think it's something that is very rare, and I'm just super excited to see how this looks like or will turn out this year and, and the next few years.
0: Absolutely. Any thoughts from you, Hester? Likewise.
1: Very early days. It's earlier than we usually get in with Epic Angels, but very excited to see how this continues. And I have full faith in the team that they will hack and hustle their way through to even <laughs> higher levels.
0: Yep. Thank
3: Absolutely. you. Thank you so
0: much. <laughs> for sharing your knowledge about 4G and as an investor, why you're interested to invest. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed looking behind the scenes. The objective of this podcast is to demystify angel investing and to share insights so you can learn more about the world of venture capital. Interested to see if you can become an angel investor yourself? Contact us via info at epicangelnetwork.com or go to our website, epicangelnetwork.com.